He just had like a mountain of drool just <laughs> drop down into my shoe out of his jowls. <laughs> God. Sexy. Schadenfreude. I laugh at your misery. Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast, brought to you by the best deck building site on the web for the commander format, EDH Rec. My name is Joey Schultz, and I'm joined today by my lovely co-hosts. First up, the speedster whose article series takes you from 60 to 100, it's Matt Morgan. I just happen to be more iconic than Iconic Masters. Next, the man whose articles remind you to look in the margins, Dana Roach. I just happen to be more Masters than Iconic. <laughs> and I'm Joey Schultz, author of the Commander Showdown series. All these articles and more can be found at EDHREC.com, along with some awesome featured community content, such as other Commander podcasts and gameplay videos. EDHREC itself is a fantastic deck-building resource that compiles data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new Commander decks. And here on the EDHREC cast, we're going to give all that data a little more context. What's our topic this week, fellas? Ultimate Master. I like the echo, Dana. <laughs> That's right. We're going to be talking work. about Ultimate Masters because I tell you what, that set looks amazing. It's solid, 100%. Usually you get these these sets where like the first couple spoilers, you're like, wow, this is great. And then when it's all said and done, you're like, oh, that was basically just the first day of spoilers. And after that, it was kind of downhill. This is just top to bottom, pretty much ridiculous. Yeah, yeah they're, oh this, man, it's so the, the hype level throughout all of spoiler season, even with commons and uncommons, was, oh, dang, that's awesome. Oh, dang. Have you seen this yet? Like, I had probably five group chats blowing up all the time because of this set. It was so cool. There's something for everybody, too. Yeah, absolutely. So we wanted to look into a little bit of the data regarding Ultimate Masters. As you all probably know, on EDHREC, there is a sets tab. So you're able to take a look at that tab and see the data for the cards within any given set. Usually on set review shows, we like to discuss, you know, since we don't have any actually any data yet, we like to discuss what we anticipate the data will be. You know, we can see all of these cards from, for example, Dominaria, and we can predict which commander might be the most popular or which cards might see the most play. But here, we actually already know, because Ultimate Masters is made up of a bunch of awesome reprints. So we just wanted to touch base with a bunch of those really, really awesome cards and talk about how freaking cool this set is. It is it is the ultimate reprint set. I, right. I, I think it earned its name. That is darn right. But before we get there, I have to ask... How was your week? How was your holiday? Did you get any new fun cards? I did get some new cards, actually. Uh, so if for those of you who don't know, I kind of like 60 card formats. Uh, it just blasphemy. I, I know, I know, I know. Mm -hmm. But uh, so there's a new casual format that uh, people have started playing. Uh, you might have heard me mention some of my buddies play old school magic. It's, that's not really my thing. But the people who started old school magic announced pre-modern or middle school magic. Uh, which is basically everything from when old school ends to when modern starts. So you get stuff like Mercadian Masks and Scourge and all sorts of fun stuff from back then, basically when I was playing as a kid. So this is pure nostalgia for me. So I bought a bunch of stuff for uh, this recurring nightmare Survival of the Fittest deck, which looks super, super fun because it's creature combo. And you play recurring nightmare, which I can't play in EDH because it's banned, but I bought... Four of those, and I bought four Survival of the Fittest, the gold border ones, though, because I'm not rolling in cash dollars. Uh, but I got really excited, so I bought a, a pre-modern middle school, whatever you want to call it, deck 
I'm very, very excited to get people playing because the format looks exactly how I played Magic back when I was a kid. That's really neat then. I mean, I, I like nostalgia. And oh, that's yeah. basically what master sets are, so. Yeah, it, it ties in very well. And it's I'm just very, very excited. And it's just another format for people to play. And the more formats means the more games, the more people you can meet, and which is never a bad thing. That's why I like playing Magic to begin with, is to go out and meet new people. And this is just another way to do that. Sounds neat. Dana, how about you? I know you've been busy getting ready to move. So did you get a chance to play any games? I have. Um, I got to play a little bit last week anyway. I got a couple games in before I had to leave early to do more packing. Um, but the one thing I want to report back on was I mentioned on a show, I don't know if it was last week or week before, about wanting to try out a card, Psychic Possession, yeah, which is an enchantment from the original Ravnica set where you enchant an opponent and you skip your draw step and whenever that opponent draws a card, you draw a card. So I put it in a deck just because I wanted to try it out. And the first game I was playing with that deck, I, I actually kind of forgot it was in the deck. Because I, I made the change, then it was like five days before I played. So I drew it, and I'm like, oh, it's in hand. And I'm like looking around, I'm like, oh, there's a Kess player across the table, and he's tapped out. So I played it on the, you know, played it on the Kess player and passed the turn to that player. And he he looks at the card and looks on at his hand and looks back at the card and back at his hand. And this goes on like three or four times. And he's just like, and then he just goes, ugh. And it's like, okay, I just need to deal with that. So, and he casts cathartic reunion so he can like try to find an answer to bounce it and Ouch. i'm like i'll draw three cards and he's like all right i'm gonna have to brainstorm <laughs> he had to brainstorm down to like and eventually he found a capsize so he could bounce it but i drew a, you know seven cards while he was getting there that seems like a pretty good rate dana yeah i was yeah. i mean that's, that's that's obviously not gonna okay. happen every game but just his response where he just was like Ugh, when he saw it i was like oh that's that's a perfect first time to play that card that was ideal yeah, that sounds really awesome. So, and so I'll, another... I'll keep it in that deck. I'm going to try it a few more times. I'm going to get it out more than just that once and see how it works. If, if nothing else, it's funny because it's a card I've never seen anyone play and it doesn't probably see a ton of play. So, Right. On the subject of blue enchantments that draw people cards, I did get to play a game pretty recently where I had a Ristic study out, but someone else had a Mystic Remora out. Ooh. And it was starting to really bug me because the person with the Mystic Remora was drawing more cards than me with my Ristic study, and I got very jealous. And that was that was the one card I was really hoping we would get in um, Ultimate Masters with Mystic Remora, and we did not. You just want your foil I, copy. Though. I that's do. That's, all. that's 100% what it is, is. I want it for myself to get a foil copy. Well, you may not have gotten the Mystic Remora, but you know, we got a lot of other stuff. And we'll get to it soon, but we've got one more segment before we get to the actual set review. And that's head-to-head. We want to compare some data and see if we can get our co-hosts to guess about that data, too. So, Matt, do you mind starting off? <laughs> starting off? That's will, a sentence. I will start I know us, how to us words. off. Start us off with head-to-head. Is that Latin? It's a Harry Potter spell. Oh, okay, right. That makes sense. Startusus. <laughs> All right. It's kind of like Spartacus, just nerdier. Okay, well, we'll get to my head-to-head. So one of the cycles in Ultimate Masters, I actually don't mind seeing, but I know the general public had kind of mixed opinions on it. So I wanted to see what you guys thought about what was the most played. I won't make you guess the order because there are five, and it's a full cycle, of the uh, the creature lands from Zendikar. So you have Stirring Wildwood, the green-white one, uh, Creeping Tar Pit, the uh, black-blue one, Celestial Colonnade, the blue-white one, Lava Claw Reaches, the black-red one, and Raging Ravine, the red-green one. Which one do you guys think is the most played in Commander? 
Oh, that's an excellent question. Because we have to start factoring in a lot of things like price here. In my opinion, Celestial Colonnade's probably the best one, but that's the opinion of all the modern players too, which is why that card went insanely expensive. On the other hand, ones that aren't necessarily as good, like Stirring Wildwood, the green-white one, like those have been reprinted a lot. So I think just the accessibility is going to be the thing that uh, that clinches it for me. I'm going to guess Stirring Wildwood is the most popular because it's more accessible. Okay. Dana, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I agree. You know, Colonnade is probably the one people would run the most if they were all equally priced at $5. But they're not. I've probably seen creeping tar pit the most i think uh, there's a couple different combos with swords and or extra combat steps i've seen with that land before so because i've seen it more than the other ones i'm just going to go with with creeping tar pit all right so starting at the bottom we'll work our way up raging ravine is played the least at 2623 decks lava claw reaches 3019 in number four number three celestial colonnade 3,293. So you both are still in the running. All right. All right. That's good. All right. All right. First runner up, second place, first loser, Creeping Tar Pit. Oh. 3,592 decks, which means Joey, two weeks in a row, gets my my guess right. Stirring Wildwood is the played the most out of all the Zendikar uh, creature lands. 6,060 decks total. Well, really, what I have to do is just try and figure out your mentality. Why would you bring this particular one up? And it's because the Selesnia land is the one. Because it's green-white. Exactly. It's a loaded question, and you you, you saw through me. I got to find to, a new strategy. You need to maintain this forward. hot streak until Ravnica Legions comes out, Joey, so you can like win a few cards. Hey. That's hey. not going to happen. When, when the know, money's it's, on it's the table, not. we know Joey folds. <laughs> uh, it's so upsetting. I'm going to be right about one of the, the, the guesses, and I'm, I'm going to... Guess which will be the most popular commander. I promise it will happen. I, I can't promise it will happen soon. But assuming that we continue this podcast ad infinitum, the, the, the probability of me eventually getting one does exist. It is blind, a non-zero percent chance. The squirrel theory will hold exactly. true. Yes. All right. Dana, uh, to save me from my misery, will you go on with your head-to-head? Sure. So this is not an ultimate master's head-to-head, but it is a master's set adjacent head-to-head. And we're going to talk about two counter spells here that are expensive and iconic and chase cards from previous master sets. And we're talking about both Force of Will and Mana Drain. Mm. And between those uh, high dollar, famous, iconic counter spells, which is played more in EDH decks? Mana Drain being the, uh, the two mana counter spell that... At the beginning of the next main phase, add an amount of colorless mana to your mana pool equal to that spell's converted mana cost, or Force of Will, which of course is five mana to cast, but you may uh, pay one life and exile a blue card from your hand rather than pay its mana cost to counter a spell. Those cards are so broken. Uh, I don't have a good guess off the bat. Matt, what do you think? Uh, I'm going to go with Force of Will. Uh, I know for a long, long time, Mana Drain, even the cheap Italian ones, were 120 bucks, if not more. Uh, Force Will has always been pricey, but never quite that expensive. And I think the, the CEDH crowd, I think there's enough people that play you know, competitive EDH that put their decks online that we we might get every now and then. Um, and also, Force Will kind of has that reputation of it's that legacy staple, it's that free counter spell. Uh, so I, I, it's worth the investment of you know 60 bucks or 75 whenever it was you know a little more expensive. 
So I think Forcible has the reputation uh, from other formats that people are are willing to splurge a little bit on that. So Forcible is my guess. You know, I think I'm going to board that train too. Mana... Oh, now I'm second-guessing myself. No, no, okay, I'm going to go with it. Force of Will, just because it was reprinted before, I, I think that that kind of helps out its numbers, again, with the accessibility argument kind of there. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna side with you, Matt. But, Dana, what's the real answer? The real answer is Force of Will. You're both correct. Force Wait, of man. Will is in just under 13,000 decks, and Mana Drain is in just over 9,000. So what if- I think Mana Drain's very good. I, I had one in my Narset deck for a little bit. It's a very, very powerful card, but at the same time, you could have two Force of Wills in two different decks, or a Force of Will in two different decks for the price of one Mana Drain in one deck. And I think having more cards to a majority of players is going to always win out. Well, at this point in time, looking at prices, Mana Drain is cheaper than Force of Will. Yeah, really? now How, However, for a lot of years, that was definitely not the case. For a lot of years, you could get a couple Forces for the same price as a Mana Drain. Yeah, so so I, I would wager part of that is, is legacy here where, you know, people could, they, they would be willing to spend 120-ish dollars maybe on a force and they wouldn't spend the 250 on a mana drain. Right. And then force got reprinted first as well. So the price on that dropped way before the mana drain one did. Yeah, Joey said that, Dana. Jeez. <laughs> right, but like, you know, I didn't, like people don't take it seriously when he says it. So I wanted to like put a little bit of heft behind that, the word. That is true too. Yeah, that, that's a solid yep. point. See, I thought that you were just going with words of affirmation because that's one of my love languages. I thought you were just, you know, reassuring me that my opinions were correct. But I guess not. I guess we just need people to actually hear it when you say it. That's, uh, man, my ego this episode. Anyway, let's go on Joey, to my head-to-head. You did a very, very good job guessing my, my head-to-head. <laughs> and I appreciate your efforts. And I would love I, to hear your head-to-head. Joey, I, I, hope I you see lose you it. and I hear you. I hope you both lose this one. All right. (laughs) I'm not going to be nice this time. We're looking at Ultimate Masters, and we're going to be looking at a lot of the popular cards in Ultimate Masters. But I want to see if you guys can guess what is the least popular Mythic Rare reprinted in Ultimate Masters. And if you need a, a pick of three, I can give you the three possible candidates. But if off the top of your head... You can guess it. That would be really excellent as well. But disclaimer, we're not going to be including the two mythic rares that are banned that are being reprinted in Ultimate <laughs> my, Masters. That was my first guess was Caracas. Yep, Caracas and Emrakul de Anstorn are, and of Leobold. course, banned. And Leobold. Yes, there's and there's three. Leobold as well. Don't yes. forget about, about my buddy. So you know that those aren't possibilities, but what else could be the least popular mythic? Do you guys need a hint? Immediately, I will, I'm, my mind jumps to Bitter Blossom. Um, the price and that's been a pain in the butt, but it's a popular, well liked card. It's a very well liked card. I've I've played it in dang near any format I've played, and it's always been really lukewarm, though, especially in Commander. Where like you lose a life. Uh, granted, life loss isn't that big of a deal in Commander, but like just a one one per turn to me doesn't stack up compared to everything else you could be doing in the format. Um, Platinum Empyrean kind of stands out a little bit too. What, I, what are, I, I'll take the three hints because I, I there's just a lot of options I could see being the card, and I'm, I'm having a tough time narrowing it down. Absolutely. So the three potential least popular mythic rare candidates are Vengevine, Tarmogoyf, and Temporal Manipulation. Ooh, I forgot about Temporal Manipulation. 
Right, so that's the really expensive take an extra turn spell. Not expensive mana-wise, it's the same as a time warp, but just because it was, you know, really ancient and never been reprinted, that would be why it was so expensive. It, it actually did have, a, it did have a judge foil. It did, yeah. Did those count? Yeah, uh, true. And, and, and weirdly enough, that's of those three, that's the only one that I run in a deck, is temporal manipulation. Sure. Vengevine itself is the uh, the green creature that has haste, and whenever you cast a spell, if it's a second creature you cast this turn, you can return it from your graveyard to the battlefield, and then Tarmogoyf needs no introduction. Man, I, I, I think it... I'm going to go, go ahead, with Goyf here, because I, I have seen Vengevine in some elemental decks. I believe he's an elemental. Yes, he it is. So yes. I think I've seen him in an in, in Angry Omnath elemental build, and in maybe Animar elemental tribal... Um, or Horde of Notions or something. So I've seen, I think I've seen Vengevine in decks, and I know I've seen Temporal Manipulation, at least in my deck, for what it's worth. So I'm going to go with Goyf. The the, um, the King of Modern, I think, is going to be one of the last place cards in EDH. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm torn between the green mythics. Um, I think Temporal Manipulation... I think... The, and it's not... It's more of a rarity thing, but it's it's not like there aren't any out there. Vengevine, I don't think Goyf is any good in, in Commander. Uh, Vengevine is fine. It's it's an okay value creature in Commander, but I, I think I'm going to agree with you. As much as it pains me to say Goyf is not very good, it's not very good in Commander, um, I think it's probably the least popular as well. Alrighty. Well, let's do the reverse of what Matt did earlier, counting down. From most to least popular in this case, Temporal Manipulation shows up in 1,910 decks. Okay. Then we go down to Vengevine in 370 decks. Quite the steep drop-off there. Mm-hmm. And just slightly below it is the Tarmogoyf at 356 decks total in EDH. So congrats, you guys. You did guess it. And I, yeah, I, I am kind of surprised. I guess I'm not surprised because, Matt, you're right, Tarmogoyf isn't great in our format. But the poster child of modern is... Not a very popular mythic for EDH. No. Well, and for two mana, you especially if you play it on turn two, you get maybe a three, four, which is cool and all, but it gets outclassed really, really quickly in Commander where you can be doing things that six and seven mana that, you know, really affect the board as opposed to a big bear. So Right. Exactly. So, you know, it shouldn't be that surprising, but it is pretty interesting to see like that's how wide a game magic is, that one card can be not popular in one format and crazy, crazy popular because of another, and that's just really neat. It's nice to see the diversity of play experiences that magic offers. Anyway, that was some least popular information about Mythics from Ultimate Masters, but now let's go to some of the most popular information. We want to take a look at the most popular cards being reprinted in Ultimate Masters because this set looks so cool. We're going to start off with some really neat data that Matt was dredging up by comparing this to other sets full of reprints. So, Matt, I'm going to let you take it away with this whole cool spreadsheet that you came up with. Sure. So, real quick, and we'll post the spreadsheet. We'll we'll put a picture up or give you guys the link to the spreadsheet that, that we put together. But basically, this is comparing Ultimate Masters compared to every other reprint-centric uh, set that they've done in the past two years or so. Uh, so, the sets that we compared are Ultimate Masters, Battle Bond, uh, Masters 25, Iconic Masters, and Modern Masters 2017. And what I did is I looked at certain, what do you want to call, breakpoints, milestones for cards getting played, whatever you want to describe it as, um, at different levels, and just counted the cards that are played at at those thresholds. So, for example, we start off with 
45,000 decks that a card has played. And those are kind of the, the cyclonic rifts, the swords of plowshares, the staples that you need five of at any given time. Because anytime you make a new deck, if it's in that color, you're going to want to play it. Cards that uh, Dana often, you know, calls your vegetables, the cards that you need and, and all those, you know, cultivate Kadama's reach qualify, for example. Below that 45,000 deck, that, that top tier is your 25,000 to 45,000. Those are your very, very powerful cards that you're going to want in most decks. Maybe they don't break into every. There's, you know, there might be a commander that doesn't want it, even though you could play it. Um, but sometimes you still play it anyways. Cards then that go down to fifteen thousand to twenty-five thousand decks. Uh, those are kind of your more generic good cards. Maybe a little more specified to a certain commander. Still very powerful cards. You're never going to be surprised to see. And then finally, that ten thousand to fifteen thousand deck threshold which is just your, your powerful cards that fit into a lot of decks, obviously, if they're getting played in 10,000 decks, but maybe a little less ubiquitous than some others, uh, but still cards that you're not surprised to see, cards that are very popular, cards that have a lot of demand in there, too. All right, so we're just looking at each of these sets and seeing how many cards they have that fit within each of those popularity thresholds, the 45K, the above 25K, the above 15K, the, and the above 10K. Correct, yeah, and and I wanted to basically see how many of these reprints are people actually wanting to play? Uh, I remember there just everybody knows there's a bunch of controversy about how Ultimate Masters, it's not for Commander players, or sometimes Commander players, you know, when Modern Masters came out, they're saying, well, this, is a, uh, this isn't for Commander, it's for whatever. And then I, I remember Battle Bond was kind of hailed as Commander Masters. Everybody was talking about how all the great reprints in there for Commander players. So I kind of wanted to, to include that set into this list just to look at uh, how many actual, you know, commander staples are actually included in those sets? So that was what I kind of tried to define here. I know it's not perfect information. I'm not pretending that it is at all, but it's the best that we could kind of do with the information we have at EDH Rec. Uh, we pull from, you know, many different sites. So we have a really good idea of what people are playing and what people want to see. And this is just uh, our best way of quantifying it. Right. And I like that you mentioned Battlebond as well. And I think Battlebond especially was hailed as being a really awesome EDH set because of all of the original cards that it had. But people were really going berserk over all of the cool reprints in that set too. So it's neat to compare that as well. They weren't going berserk. That was in Conspiracy 2. Oh my goodness. Okay, go on. <laughs> go on with your data. Go on with your spreadsheet. I'm going to leave. That was, I can't deal with that. No. You're welcome. Anyways. <laughs> that was amazing. So I will start off and and point out one one very, very specific fact, or I guess it kind of is a fact, but Ultimate Masters has more cards played in 10,000 or more decks than both Battle Bond and any one Master set combined. That's how popular Ultimate Masters is. That's kind of the takeaway from this conversation. So we'll start at the top and say that Ultimate Masters, uh, when you look at that top tier, the 45,000 decks or more, Ultimate Masters has six cards printed in that range. Compared to the rest of the sets, Battle Bond has one, Masters 25 has four, Iconic Masters has two, and uh, Modern Masters 2017 only has one card that breaks the, the 45,000 deck list. Swords of Plowshares is one of those cards, uh, which shows up in a couple of those, but Ultimate Masters has six, which is almost as many as the rest of the sets combined. That shows how popular all these top tier cards are, how many top tier cards are, are getting into Ultimate Masters. Right. So when you mentioned Swords to Plowshares, that's not being reprinted in Ultimate Masters, but that was in Iconic Masters. And so, Battle Bond. 
Right, gotcha. So just to make sure I'm following, what you're saying is that there are so many hyper-popular cards in Ultimate Masters. Correct. Yeah, there there are six unique cards that are ultra-popular compared to the one for Battle Bond or two for Iconic Masters. And those were reprint heavy sets too, but Ultimate Masters blows it out of the water. I mean, basically, uh, right. if, if you took any two previous Master sets and shaved off the bottom 30% or 40% and shuffled those together you still probably wouldn't have the reprint level we get in UMA. You would right. not, no. And Matt's not even done. That was just right. the top. That's just, that that's was, just the top that threshold. Was, yeah, that was the cards of, of the ilk of, you know, Cyclonic Rift and Swords of Plowshares and Eternal Witness. And mm-hmm. remember, Eternal Witness is a uncommon in Ultimate Masters. That's very significant too. So you're going to see a ton of those going around and that number is just only going to skyrocket. So we'll move on to the 25,000 to 45,000 deck range. Um, So one notch down. Ultimate Masters has zero, unfortunately, but it has several that are just, just under there. Uh, Mana Vault barely, you know, doesn't make the cut. Battle Bond only has one, which is Beast Within. Masters 25 has two cards in that range. Iconic Masters also has two. And Modern Masters has one. Now there is something that I want to point out here. So with Modern Masters 2017 especially, what I did when I put these stats together is I took out all of the guild gates, all of the signets, and the trilands from these calculations. Because if you do, it's it pumps up the numbers for Magic 27 or for Modern Masters 2017 and Iconic Masters with the bounce lands. And those have been in so many pre-con products that they, those are not cards that people are are jonesing to have. Those are mm-hmm. not cards that people are, you know. If you put that in a reprint set, that's going to sell packs. Nobody cares about Guild Gates. It, all it does is just pump up the numbers. Whereas if you look at Ultima Masters, you don't have Guild Gates. You don't have Signets. You don't even have Soul Ring. So those numbers are purely from cards that people want. Those are not pe- the cards that people need just to fix their mana, do something piddly. These are all money cards, if you will. You know, The Guild Gates, all those cards that we excluded, they're mainly 50 cents and under. Maybe Demir Signet breaks a dollar every now and then. But that it's not really something that people want to see reprinted again and again and again, like all the cards in Ultimate Masters. Okay, so then when we go down to the next category, that was the twenty between twenty five and forty five k in terms of popularity. Yes. And Ultimate Masters didn't fare very well there because it only had you know zero cards in that range. But then again, most of the other sets didn't have a lot of cards in that range either. They only had one or two. Yeah. Right. So then when we go down to the between 15 and 25K, then we start to see some improvement. We do see some improvement. So 15 to 25,000 decks. Ultimate Masters has four of those. Battle Bond has three. Masters 25 has four. Iconic Masters is one that we kind of had to, to look at a little bit. It has eight, so it has a very good number. That number goes up to 16 if you count the bounce lands, though. So that's why we pull those out, because mm-hmm. they're not really worth mentioning. Um, and then modern, I mean, they are good cards, but they're not the type of things that people buy a Masters product right. you don't, pursuing. You, you don't buy a pack of, of, of Masters anything saying, man, I really hope I open a Gruel Turf. That, right. I mean, if you do, then more power to you. But I think there's better ways you can spend your money. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so Iconic Masters in the fifteen to 25,000 only has eight. And then Modern Masters 2017, this is its strong suit. It has 11. Um, so it had a lot of good ones. Most of those, though, are the Zendikar fetch lands. Five of those are the Zen fetches that all fit in that that fifteen to twenty five thousand range. I mean, those are excellent cards. They are very, very, very good. Yes. 
Alrighty, so, so then we're going to move down to that last category, and this is where things get super interesting. This is where you see where a lot of the juice is in Ultimate Masters. So I'll actually give Ultimate Masters last. So in the in the fifteen or in the ten to fifteen thousand deck range, you have five cards of that or that qualify in Modern Masters twenty seventeen, uh, six cards that qualify in Iconic Masters, thirteen from M twenty five. Three from Battle Bond and seventeen from Ultimate Masters. Now that's a fun number. That is a very large number. So there's just a ton of value chalked into that that ten to fifteen thousand deck range for Ultimate Masters. And this is those are cards like you know Laboratory Maniac, Frantic Search, Faithless Looting, which are three dollar commons, and then Laboratory Maniac, which is a twelve dollar uncommon. Uh, right. <laughs> there's a lot of very, very powerful and very, very good cards in that range. Like I said, every, you know, Masters 25 that has 13 cards in there too. That's really its only strong point. Whereas it only had, you know, four cards in the 45,000 range where Ultimate Masters had six. So the total numbers, just cards in general that are in the set that are played in more than 10,000 decks. Well, uh, it, Ultimate Masters... Go if ahead, anything, Dana. I would say. If anything, I would say these numbers are biased against Ultimate Masters. If you look back at some of these, some of the cards, you've got things like you know Damnation in Modern Masters 2017 that shows up on this list because it's in. I think it was 11,000 decks when I looked it up. Well, Damnation mm-hmm. at the time of the reprint was in was like fifty dollars, and now it's down to you know twenty two or twenty three. So it, it, it's been at that lower price point now for you know going on in two years now, I think. Mm-hmm. So people have been able to pick it up at that cost and put it into decks versus Ultimate Masters where you have things like Frexian uh, Tower, which is, you know, it's been a $50, $60 card for quite a while. It's only in 6,000 decks. It doesn't make your stats right now because it's been so expensive for so long that it's not showing up in th- these lists of popular cards for you because people haven't been able to afford it. Now, in three years when it has had the time that Damnation's had to show up in decks after it's been cracked in packs and it's been cheaper, these numbers will be even more heavily skewed in favor of UMA. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. Because so many of these cards have been priced out of people's decks, yeah, I I love that you brought that up. Ultimate Masters is so packed with value that measuring popularity alone is not actually enough because we still have to acknowledge how many amazing cards it contains that were just too expensive to become popular. Yeah, like Ancient Tomb is a is a great example of this. Ancient Tomb has been thirty five plus, you know, fifty dollars on on most days, and it's still in twenty two thousand decks. Yeah, I mean, if, if uh, Ancient Tomb was a, if, if that was a two dollar card, that would be the second most popular land behind Command Tower. I I agree one hundred percent. So I think what Dana's trying to point out is all these Ultimate Masters reprints, especially the pricey ones that haven't seen a numbers bump. They haven't had time to cure and get into decks yet. Yep. That will happen moving forward. So Ultimate Masters, if anything, the the lead that it has on the rest of the reprint sets is only going to get bigger. Right. And it's already big. You were about right. to mention the totals for all of those sets. Yes. So the totals for all the sets. So last place, Commander Masters, Battle Bond, if you will, has eight cards total that are played in more than 10,000 decks. Uh, second place... Er, Fourth place, third place kind of because they're tied, is Modern Masters 2017 and Iconic Masters with 18. Followed up with M25, which a lot of people said was kind of the failed Masters set, actually comes in second. It has 23 cards that are played in at least 10,000 decks. But of course, 
Ultimate Masters does win out with 27 cards that are played in at least 10,000 decks or more on EDH Rec. Right. It's not just a general feeling that we all have, that it kind of feels like Ultimate Masters is really exciting. It's not just an impression. It's not just a sort of atmospheric feeling about it. It's literally supported by the data that this is an exciting set full of very insanely popular stuff. Incredibly popular, incredibly powerful and a lot of this stuff, like like Dana said, you know, Phyrexian Towers played in 6,000 or so decks as a $60 card. It's going to go down and more people. I, I can't count the number of people that I saw on Twitter that thought Phyrexian Tower was on the reserve list. <laughs> well, I thought Back to Basics was on the reserve list. Oh, no, that and that's getting reprinted. It's not, even just, basi- yeah. it's not even just prices that'll make a difference here, too. It's just these cards showing up in binders and on shelves in your local game store. I mean... There's been plenty of times I've wanted to put an ancient tomb in a deck and maybe had the money to get one, but I've never seen, I, I don't, people don't trade in their ancient tombs. They've got them in their legacy deck or their commander deck. They're not sitting around because if you've acquired one, you're using it. Well, now people are going to, you know, be buying boosters and have, there'll be actually ancient tombs around in places to acquire them. So it's not just a matter of these getting reprinted in a way that makes them cheaper for people. These cards are physically going to be accessible in a way they weren't, you know, six weeks ago. That's a really good point, too. You can listen to any EDH finance podcast, those folks who are out there trying to help you make sure that you save money doing your favorite hobby, and they'll tell you that they sell way more $30 doubling seasons than they do $70 doubling seasons. Yeah, 100%. And, And one thing that I think should be pointed out is, a lot of these cards that in Ultimate Masters are played at a, a huge number, like Eternal Witness, most of these are north of you know fifteen dollars or so. You have stuff like Urborg, Mana Vault, Ancient Tomb, Cavern of Souls, Demonic Tutor. All these cards are are money cards, whereas a lot of the cards in all the other Master sets, they might be like Austere Command, which was a three dollar card for a long time, but there aren't near as many just calling cards. Most of the cards that are money cards in Ultimate Masters would be money cards in all these others. Even some of the subpar okay cards in Ultimate Masters would turn into marquee cards with these other reprint sets. Yeah, absolutely. So I really like that you threw that together. As Matt mentioned, we'll make sure that we include that data when we post to the show. It should be really cool to look through just to see that, yeah, Ultimate Masters is really living up to its name. Let's move on now to actually talking about the most popular cards themselves. Dana, do you mind taking us through it? I absolutely can do that. So the top 10 most frequently played reprints here in Ultimate Masters, number one is Terramorphic Expanse, number two, Eternal Witness, Number three, Kadama's Reach. Number four, Rogue's Passage. And number five, Demonic Tutor. At number six, Urborg, Tomb of Yogmoth. Number seven is Mana Vault. Number eight is Ancient Tomb. Number nine is Cavern of Souls. And number 10 is Treasure Cruise. That's a bunch of stuff. Those are some amazing, amazing cards. Do you guys have any general impressions when looking at this top 10 cards from Ultimate Masters? There's a lot of money. <laughs> there's there, <laughs> yes you you have stuff like mana vault which that suffers from probably the the problem that dana brought up you know there there aren't mana vaults in people's binders that's such an old card it hasn't been reprinted in forever and now all of a sudden it will be out there so yeah it, it's pricey and demonic tutor i mean that it's the tutor isn't it is there is there a generally yeah, i mean it, gen- generally than, speaking it's the i would say it's the best tutor 
Yeah. Uh, the thing that sticks out to me is the prevalence of lands among this. Five of the top ten cards are lands. And we've got the Terramorphic Expanse. That's obviously a classic, and it's in this set for the purposes of Limited. But we've also got Cavern of Souls, Ancient Tomb, Urborg, and Rogue's Passage is nice to see as well. So it's just kind of astonishing to me, again, that like popular money cards, just like we discussed on that money episode that those do tend to, you know, see as much play as they do. But also the color distribution was pretty interesting to me. We're seeing some green cards with Eternal Witness and Kodama's Reach. We're seeing Demonic Tutor. And I suppose Urborg, technically, we could count as a black card, but you are technically allowed to play it in non-black decks. And then we've also got Treasure Cruise. And if we expand a little bit further down past the top 10, we also see cards like Dig Through Time and Lab Maniac and Snapcaster Mage. We also see things like Buried Alive. In fact, the color breakdown of the top 20 cards from these top most popular cards from Ultimate Masters is very, very interesting to me. So in the top 20, we have a total of two colorless cards, seven lands, one of which is Urborg. We have zero white cards in the top 20, five blue cards, four black cards, one red card, and two green cards. That spread was really, really interesting to me. What do you guys think? It's interesting, but it's not really surprising, I don't think. I think white and red being left out of the top 20 and they're the colors that are universally recognized in Commander as being the ones that have the most glaring weaknesses and and probably the least popular color pair. I don't think anyone should be surprised if there's only one red card and no white cards in that top 20. Initially, that was my impression as well because, yeah, we've seen on a lot of the the shows where we're taking a look at colors or guild pairings or something, we often see that the least popular colors are red and white. But when I took a look at some of the other Masters sets and all of their reprints, when I glanced through those, the it, it was a pretty different story. So, for example, with Iconic Masters, Iconic Masters actually had several white cards among the top 20, including Swords to Plowshares, technically Supreme Verdict, which is white and blue, Austere Command, and Elish Norn and Avacyn Angel of Hope are present among the top 22 as well. So, I mean, there was certainly a, a lot of, of good white cards in previous sets. We just don't uh, seem to have any here. And in fact, I think that's kind of echoed by the fact of the box toppers. All of those really cool full art cards, there aren't any white cards among the box toppers. Well, there's Sigarda and there's Kitchen Finks, but you're, you're not wrong. <laughs> right, right. I suppose that's true. I should I should count those. You you have to defend your Selesnian heritage. Well, is that if, right? If you're if you're defending the Azorius and saying that the Supreme Verdict counts as a white card, even though it's white and blue, then I think it's only fair. Sigarda, my girl, gets in. <laughs> well, yeah, okay. That's you're right. Only fair. So I found that color spread to be pretty interesting. This set, a lot of folks have referred to it almost as like a reanimator masters because of all of the uh, you know the buried alive effects and the reanimate effects that are that are seen around here. And in fact, the set symbol is two skulls facing each other, which is kind of neat. Um, and it just does seem a bit like the the color bias does lean in that direction with the prevalence of blue and black cards being among the most popular cards in the set. Yeah. Well, and you have a lot of delve mechanic too. You have, you know, Gurmag Angler, the zombie fish and dig through time, treasure cruise, the party boat. Uh, you have a lot of delve cards in there. You have faithless looting ways to feed it. And then you have demonic tutor and buried alive. So yeah, just a lot of stuff that interacts or put stuff in the graveyard. Even, you know, the next card, Ar- uh, Archaeomancer gets stuff out of your graveyard. So yeah, reanimator masters, graveyard masters, whatever you want to call it. Joey Schultz masters. Ha! I like that. I'm on board with that. And I mean, kind of funny, actually, 
it takes until the 22nd most popular card to actually see a white card show up on the page for the Ultimate Masters on EDA track, and that card is Reveil Arc. And that, as we know, is a thing that can pull stuff out of the graveyard. It fetches two uh, power two or less creatures from your graveyard and puts them back on the battlefield. It's a really cool bird with Evoke. So yeah, even the white card is actually joining the uh, the reanimator party. But I-, I was pretty surprised to see that the color spread is is so biased in this particular set when it tends to be a bit more balanced than some other sets. I mean, I think that's fine because they have to remember that they're they're not reprinting everything just for Commander, even though it feels like it looking at all this glut of riches right here. I mean, they're, they're reprinting stuff for every format. This is the Ultimate Masters reprinting stuff for you know, the 60 card formats too, and cube players and all that kind of fun stuff and still trying to make a limited format somewhat coherent. But yeah, I, I, I don't think we should be surprised, but um, it does, it does kind of make sense. And, and Revelark's a very, very good card still. Oh yeah, completely. The, the one thing that jumps out at me um, isn't the, are the cards that are exceptions to the rule. And, and the rule I kind of see here is the vast majority of these cards are just universally useful like your deck doesn't need to be doing a specific thing to run eternal witness or kadama's reach or demonic tutor you know urborg is really great with cabal coffers but if you're playing black slash something it's a great mana fixing card mana vault's a great ramp card ancient tomb's a great ramp card true treasure cruise is a great draw spell it really in that top 10 the only card that kind of catches my eye as being something somewhat specialized is cavern of souls where you probably only want to run it in a tribal deck and there's only a few of these cards as we as we go down that are that are something like cavern of souls where you have to be running a very specific deck lab maniac is down in the uh, i think it's number 16 slot you know you're obviously running that in a deck with a strategy built around getting that lab man win but you know even reanimate is yes it's a reanimation spell but there's always going to be a good creature in your graveyard for the most part so yeah, creatures die. Yeah, yeah. So there, I mean, like, the, there's a few weird exceptions here that are cards that maybe want to be used in a specialized deck, and I think those are the most interesting to see. Um, particularly, Cavern really caught my eye. Yeah, Dana, I think you could say that about a lot of cards in here. Not just that they're just specifically good in one deck, like Lab Maniac or Machaeus, but they're just a bunch of just very generically powerful cards. And not to say they're generic. That's probably the wrong word to use, but just they're good in a lot of decks. Probably the next specialized-ish card is maybe Life from the Loam. But even then, you know, if somebody plays an Armageddon, you want you need to recover. You right. can play Life from the Loam and, you know, get your engine going. I, I think there's a lot of decks, even if it's not a lands deck or a graveyard deck, Life from the Loam is probably still going to do a, a good amount of work for you. Maybe like All is Dust is another card that you don't really put in a lot of decks. But for the most part, it's just, it's very powerful cards yeah. across the board. Yep, I, I, am, I am on board with that. So here's a weird question for you guys. Now that we're actually seeing all of the data compiled for the popularity of reprints from Ultimate Masters, are you surprised at the popularity? Are there any cards that are maybe lower on the list that you thought were more popular in EDH than they are compared to the contemporaries that they've got in this set? I mean, most of the cards that are lower than I would think, it's logical because it's a price thing. There's a lot of good cards like, um, like Maelstrom Pulse. I mean, I feel like Maelstrom Pulse should be in a lot more decks, except for it's been a $25-ish card for a long time. So, okay, that then, then I get it. So most of them, anything that jumps out at me as being really low on the list, I then realize, oh, it's because of the price. Yeah, yeah I, I think yeah, Maelstrom true. Pulse is the, is the poster boy for that effect, Dana. Yeah, for sure. 
Right. Containment Priest is the one that caught my eye because it came from a precon. I can't believe it's not more popular, but it kind of has that Teferi's Protection effect going on. Teferi's Protection obviously got expensive because a bunch of commander players won it, but Containment Priest, as I understand it, got really popular in other formats, and it jumped up to being $22 or something like that. So then that kind of priced it out of the, the people who whose format it was actually originally like designed to be put into. I mean, I just thought that that was kind of surprising. And I suppose, you know, when they design cards that go into Commander products, obviously they design them for many different applications. But that one was very surprising to me. Matt, yeah. did any jump out at you? Um, I think Dark Depths is going to go up quite a bit. It's currently only in 3,700 decks, but it also was a $50 land for a while, even with the the From the Vault printing. So putting this out there, I think, is going to put it in a lot more hands of Commander players. Uh, I really want to be that guy and live the dream and play thespian stage and dark depths in a draft because that just sounds <laughs> and, awesome yeah thespian stage is in this set so you can actually make that combo work where you make a copy of dark depths with your thespian stage but then the thespian stage dies because of the legend rule and it didn't have any counters on it so you get a huge merit ledge token that sounds bonkers awesome and it's it, also definitely yeah, it, a card that like people just didn't have access to either you know hadn't been printed for you know what is it 12 years or something since yeah cold snap since cold snap was out i guess i had that from the vault reprint but that's a set that a lot of people never had access to and it's played in 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 eternal decks as well you just didn't find dark depths lying about and now you have access to them yep yeah at this point like you're getting i think as just as a format in general with a lot of these reprints the cool thing about all these especially with the quality and i know they said you know they're not going to do master sets for a little bit which kind of stinks, but we're almost getting to the point where there are only so many legacy players out there. Uh, grant, you know, people are leaving and coming into the format. Probably it's a wash, but there's only so many out there because it's capped at how many dual lands are there. That means every time they reprint stuff like Dark Depths or Force of Will or all these, you know, awesome legacy playable cards, there's only so many legacy players. So that means all the overflow starts going to commander players then, which I think is, is a cool kind of side effect with all these legacy playable cards is that they're still powerful in commander. And now we're getting a chance to get our hands on them as opposed to just legacy players willing to spend the money. Alrighty. So here's another fun statistic that I thought was kind of neat to play around with, because I, I think it really does cement the idea of whether this is quote commander masters or not, because I also wanted to look at the box toppers and their relationship to the data that we have here on the ultimate masters tab on EDA track. Because, I mean, these box toppers are a really, really cool idea. I love that you get those when you buy a box. You've got these awesome full art cards. And you've got a bunch of really neat ones in there uh, among that pile. Things like Eternal Witness and Demonic Tutor and Cavern of Souls. You get a chance at these awesome things. But I wanted to see if those match the box topper, excuse me, if those box toppers match the most popular cards that we're seeing in our format. And as it turns out, they kind of do. So six of the top 10 most popular cards that Dana mentioned earlier, from Terramorphic Expanse, Eternal Witness, all the way down to Cavern of Souls and Treasure Cruise, six of those cards are box toppers for, for the set. So, I mean, that's above half. And then, in fact, if we expand it to the top 20 most popular cards from Ultimate Masters, according to EDA Trek, 10 of those cards are box toppers. So this set really does have an eye towards EDH players, because even the most valuable versions of cards also, at least half of them that we're seeing from these most popular things here, 
can be available in that form. Like, I just think that's a really, really cool number. It's neat to see that this set isn't just for any one particular format. It definitely does have an eye towards a format as big as this one, too. Yeah, and I think, I feel like in the past, sometimes there's been a selection of cards that gets chosen, whether it's as the mythics in a set or or whatever, where you're like, oh, really? They made that cycle of the Kamigawa Dragons mythics in this thing again. In this case, the box toppers, with the exception of a couple of those manlands, was there is there forty box toppers, and like mm-hmm. thirty six of them are interesting cards that you would not be upset if you cracked in your as your box topper. I, mean, I, that, I don't that, think that, you should be upset about any of them because they're all right. Right, but I'm just saying, <laughs> yeah. like, like that's a there's there's a pretty good ratio there of cards that you're going to be thrilled to open up. Yeah, I mean, so of those cards, Eternal Witness, Demonic Tutor, Urborg Tomb of Yogmoth, I think is one of them, Mana Vault, Ancient Tomb, Cavern of Souls, then you also have Snapcaster Mage, Kozilek, Reanimate, and Micaeus the Unhallowed. Like, all of those are among the top 20 most popular cards from Ultimate Masters, and all of those are also available as box toppers for this set. I just found that really, really fascinating, that like these these really popular cards are are available to us now in this really cool form. And, I mean, that's kind of been one of the the running themes for EDH players, I feel, is like people foiling out their decks, for example. So it's nice to see that these designs are for people who like to collect and foil out, you know, really cool cards for their decks. I, I like that that's available here. It's not any one particular format. They they do pay attention to EDH players here, and they gave us really amazing prizes that actually reflect cards that we play. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I could not agree more, actually. Uh, I think they, they found out they were onto something with uh, you know, the the masterpieces, the expeditions, all that kind of fun stuff. And they said they weren't going to do it very often anymore in standard legal sets, but that doesn't mean they're not going to do it anymore. And this was a really, really cool way to do it. And and like you said, like it's it's extra value. Uh, you know, I don't know if you guys watch The Professor when he does the unboxing videos and opens a box of whatever set and then, he you know, he plays the box game where he has to sell the cards and make enough to, to buy another box and he keeps it going. With Ultimate Masters, it's not going to be that hard to do that, especially with the box toppers where you can open your box topper and you can buy another box with how much you sold that for. (laughs) That's crazy. So, Professor, if you're listening, I really want to see you play the box game with Ultimate Masters. Please and thank you. And Joey mentioned foils here. There's even a handful of cards that got their first time foil. Oh, of course. I, Dana, I, I knew that you'd bring this <laughs> they, up. They weren't any of the ones I was chasing in particular for the most Grimora, part. It so it doesn't it was count. It not yeah. Mystic Grimora, so the rest of them are kind of irrelevant. No, but like Angelic Renewal is a card that sees play. Back to Basics, um, and Frexian Tower is a huge one. I mean, not only do people get their chance to actually get a Frexian Tower just period, but they actually can get a, a, a good-looking foil one now. Um, and Songs of the Damned is kind of a neat card that doesn't see a ton of play, but like if you have one in your mono black deck and want to run it, um, this is your first chance to get a foil. And there's even a few cards that didn't have foils aside from masterpieces or like judge foils, demonic tutor. The only foil demonic tutor prior to this was a judge foil from like seven years ago. That was, I want to say almost $250. Now you'll be able to get a foil demonic tutor for, you know, a fourth of that price. And that's still not nothing, but it's way more accessible than that old judge foil. Uh, Manavolt well, yeah, in Ancient Tomb ancient as well. Like tomb. Ancient Tomb, the only foil Ancient Tomb prior to this was the Zendikar Expedition that was 200 and some dollars. Um, same thing with Manavolt, that was like a $200 invention from Kaladesh. So don't, don't it's, forget it's, the greasy from the vault. Right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. 
so there's there's a chance for people to get foils of you know probably i think about a dozen cards man i i think the lesson to take away here is that we're really excited for this set and i like yeah, foils <laughs> sorry you didn't get a three visits either dana i, I know didn't. you were just itching i just settled for a nature's lore but i'm is still there no thrilled about nature's the set. Lore? there's no foil nature's lore the last printing i think was man it might have been six edition i think was was there one? Well, yeah, there might have been one in, in one of the the dual decks. But yeah, there's no right. foil. But of course, not available in foil yep. in that one. So. What, what we're saying, listeners, is that Dana's the guy that tries to make everybody go blind so they can't see what he's doing at the table. Because of all of the shiny, shiny cards. All the shinies. Well, then I, I assume that you're going to be really excited for those box toppers. And I'm excited that the box toppers do reflect cards that we play. And Matt's excited because of Selesnia, probably. So it's just a really <laughs> exciting set. Easy. I'm excited just for this set in general. Like, what when I, I know it was kind of controversial and they raised the price on it and we won't get into that too much, but just everything about this set, like there are there are commons that are worth more to open in a pack than there were rares in a lot of the master sets before. That alone should get people excited. But yeah, just head to toe that like there is something for everyone in this master set. I was gonna say whether yeah, whether it's cube players or commander players, constructed players, whatever, like there is something for everybody in here, and, and it's just a very, very cool thing to see that this this is the master set everybody was asking for for years. Yeah, it, it is a master set. It feels like the kind of the, the perfect iteration of, of that product. Um, and, and the one thing I was also going to add here um, to help with the, 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 the increase in price that got people kind of salty, I mean, the product more than compensates for the, the increase in price as far as I'm concerned. I think... People didn't love the increase in the commander uh, product price last time around because they felt like the cards in the decks didn't justify it. I, and, and I kind of agreed with that to a degree. That is not the case here. I feel like if, no. if they are going to charge us more for a product with this many more great reprints, I am okay with that. And if they you know, crank it up $5 more next time and it has that many more great reprints in it above and beyond this amount... I'll take that too. Yeah. Well, and the great part is like, if you open up a pack and say you get bridge from below, bridge from below is only played in 115 commander decks. Not very many. It's not, you know, that great. doesn't do very much in commander either. The cool part about that is if you're a commander player and you open bridge from below, that's a $20 card. You can then take that, put it in your binder and trade it for $20 worth of cards you are going to use. And you basically get a 25% discount because you only paid for the pack. Yeah, I mean, there, there's there's a good chance the store you bought it at will just give you, you know, sixteen dollars in trade value for it, and you will still come out ahead in what you paid for your pack. Yeah, exactly. Or, or Gorio's Vengeance—that's another card that doesn't right. see a lot of play. And I mean, th- there are cards that you are going to open if you open any of this, and you're not going to have any use for it, but it's still going to be worth something, and you can trade it for something you do, and you're going to come out ahead. And it's great. Like, the, I I can't stop gushing about this set. I know I've tweeted about it a couple times. Um, I had a really good conversation with a listener, um, Angelo. I know we kind of went back and forth when the first that first came out. You came around and saw the light that I was, you know, trying to show you. But, <laughs> but yeah, it was, it's just it's very cool. That I, everybody was kind of hesitant at first, but now it's it's kind of hard to find somebody who still is critical of the set. I'm swiftly changing our intro. Welcome to the EDH Retcast, your number one place for MTG finance content, apparently. <laughs> Sorry, I'm giving you guys a hard time. Luckily, in our case, there's not much competition for other finance podcasts. 
No. So speaking of the cost of things, let's look at some statistics. Uh, specifically, <laughs> I want to move to the challenge, the stats segment. We're obviously really, really hyped about this set. And while there has been some controversy about its price, clearly we're excited. And I think that the numbers do back up how awesome and you know, chock full of awesome value this particular set is. But we also want to be a little critical about some statistics sometimes too. So, Dana, how about you start us off by challenging some of these statistics that we're seeing here on EDA Track? Absolutely. So usually when we do one of these um, these themed shows, I like to try to find a challenge of stats that is on point here. Um, so ideally I'd have an Ultimate Masters one, but something came up last week um, about a card in particular and I just have to talk about it, and that's Limdul's Vault. Mm-hmm. And Limdul's Vault, for those that don't know, and it's in eight thousand decks, so it's not like it's it's a card people aren't aware of. And it was in, I think, the twenty fourteen decks, one of the precons. So Limdul's Vault costs two mana, a blue and a black, for an instant speed spell. And basically, I won't read the whole the whole wall of text here, but you can look at the top five cards of your library and rearrange them in any order. And if you don't like those top five cards, you can put them on the bottom of your library and repeat that process at the cost of one life. So, I mean, if you spend, you know, one life, you can dig down 10 and spend two life, dig down 15, whatever. So you can rearrange the top five cards of your library, digging down for spending just a few life points. It's a really useful card that sees a ton of CEDH play, but it should see more regular commander play. And the reason I'm mentioning this is a friend of mine recently built a Yannette Cryptic Sovereign deck, and he was yeah. he was asking me for advice for cards, and I just happened to be looking at Limdol's Vault for a for a Demir deck of mine. So I'm like, oh, you absolutely should put that in Yannette. It's perfect. You can you know tweak the top five cards of your library. Worst case, you dig down five deep, but you know best case, you can spend five six life and find that perfect top card as well as set up your next couple top cards. So he's like, oh, yeah, that card's perfect. And I, I just on a whim, I checked EDH Rec to see how many Yannette decks were running Limdul's Vault. Um, there's 126 Yannette decks in our database. You guys want to guess how many are running Limdul's Vault? I mean, it should be very high, but based off of where this conversation is going, it's going to apparently be much, much lower than it should. Well, if you guessed one, you'd be off by one. It's zero. There are zero decks what? in our database. Zero Yannette decks running Limdul's Vault. <laughs> no. And, you know, it, it's not a zero-cost card. It's like $4. So I, I get there are some budget constraints, but it should be in more decks than zero. <laughs> so, yeah. I, this is this is reminding me. I have a Yannette deck. I need to put it somewhere online so that EDHREC can get it so there can be at there least we go. one oh, that I was runs Limduel's Vault. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, I need to get a Limduel's Vault to put in there, and I was about to call you out. No, no, I love that card. That one's been really fun. And actually, on a previous challenge of stats, I challenged the card Vampiric Tutor, and we were talking about really high money cards, because Vampiric Tutor, while obviously excellent, is also commanding a price tag of like 50 plus dollars, and I just didn't want people to be under the impression that they need a $50 card in order to make their deck run efficiently. And Limb Duel's Vault is an excellent example of why that's the case. It's a much, much, much more budget-friendly option that can help perform some of the same tasks. So yeah, Dana, I love that pick. Yannette totally needs to run that card. I think any blue-black deck in general should probably at least consider Limb Duel's Vault and have a pretty good excuse on why we all ask, why aren't you running Limb Duel's Vault? Because you just set up everything for a couple turns and you know, you're not going to have too many dead draws. 
Yeah, that's a fun one. Alrighty, I'm going to move on to mine now, and I'm looking at another deck that I also happen to have, and that is Krufix God of Horizons, and in keeping with that Ultimate Masters theme, I did find an uncommon that is being reprinted in Ultimate Masters. That card is Urban Evolution. This is a Simic Sorcery, 5 mana, 3 green-blue. And it says to draw three cards, and then you may play an additional land this turn. This shows up currently in about 39% of Crewfix decks, but I actually kind of want to challenge that number. My experience with Crewfix has been that five mana sorceries like this are pretty clunky. Crewfix obviously can hold on to all of your mana, and he loves it when you get to draw a bunch of cards because he can hold on to all of those too. He's like an Omnath plus a Reliquary Tower. But Urban Evolution itself has just never... While it seems like it would be perfect, it's never actually been as beneficial as a lot of the other stuff that I've been able to do in Crufix. Because Crufix can hold on to so much mana, a card that a spell like this that draws me three cards just isn't quite worth it when I could be using Stroke of Genius or something to draw like, you know, 20. And in terms of the extra land that it gives me, well, you know, I've got better options for that too, and cheaper ones. Ones that won't necessarily take as much of my colored mana that I need to hold on to, because that deck is pretty controlling. So I kind of wanted to challenge that one, because it looks like a really intuitive, obvious, yeah, this is right up Crufix's alley, but I think that it's so, I don't know, I'm going to use that word generic again in its value, that it actually kind of misses the cut. It's just a smidgen too clunky compared to what Crufix is capable of. So since I saw that one being reprinted in Ultimate Masters, I want to challenge it here because it's just a card that I never quite made work the way that I wanted it to in Crufix compared to some of the other stuff I could do. Yeah, I, I think I've tried that out in a few decks and I don't know if it's really ever stayed in because it's always felt kind of meh. Like by the time, I, like like you said, by the time you get to five mana, what else would you rather be doing? Yeah, that, that playing my crucifix. That was absolutely my my thought whenever I played it. Was man, five mana felt like it was too much, and maybe four would be too little. Maybe it would be too strong at four, but five always mm-hmm. felt like it was too much. Right. This is EDH where we do really super, super swingy stuff. And while I appreciate the need to eat your vegetables and make sure that you pay attention to things like mana ramp and card draw, that particular deck already excels at both of those things in spades. So a card like this is just actually, while it's decent value, it's not the swingy value that EDH is capable of. So that's why I wanted to challenge this particular one. 39%. It could probably stand to go a little bit lower as those Crufix decks get a bit more tuned. Let's finish up with yours, Matt. So I won't go Selesnia. I'll take a break, but I'll go to Mono Green. That's fine. <laughs> it's a big difference. So one card that is played in over ten thousand decks on EDH Trick is Anger, which is a creature that, if it's in the graveyard, gives all your creatures haste. Or, and if you control a mountain, excuse me. Played in quite a bit of decks, but I want to focus on one that's in the similar vein, has a very similar effect, but isn't played in near as many decks, and that is Brawn. Um, so Brawn is three and a green for a three three with Trample. And it reads, as long as Brawn is in your graveyard and you control a forest, creatures you control have trample. Uh, one thing that we talked about last week on the Throwmock episode uh, was the lack of evasion that had, uh, or that Throwmock had, excuse me, built into him. You had to kind of work around that and find other ways to give him uh, evasion. We talked about this earlier, but in Commander, creatures are going to die. Creatures are going to get into the graveyard and, and getting Brawn in there gives your creatures built-in trample. It gives all of them. And it's very rare that you're playing a green deck that doesn't have a forest. You have Cultivate, Kadama's Reach, all those kind of fun cards. So you're going to you know, be able to turn this on very, very easily. And it's just a good way to give all your creatures, especially in, in go-tall strategies, you don't want to get chump blocked to death and you know you waste your turns. 
So giving them trample and trample is one of those abilities. I think that kind of gets looked over every now and then uh, we talked a couple times about how like vigilance is secretly very powerful. And I think trample is kind of in that same vein where either they're going to sacrifice a lot of blockers to keep you from dealing a lot of damage or they're just, you know, going to have to find a different way to remove it. So Braun is one card. It's currently only played in 3,829 decks. I think that number should be going up considering it's a quarter, no matter what website you buy it from. Talk to your LGS. they probably find them in, in piles of cards people leave behind after they draft. Uh, it's just a very just overall powerful card. It fits into green strategies where they like big fatties and, you know, stomping down on folks. So giving them trample and, and finding a way to push damage through is always a always a welcome sight. Hmm. I'm going to challenge your challenge a little bit here, actually. I think oh. that Braun is a cool card, but not as generically useful in green decks as you maybe made it out to be. Oh. Generally, I guess the thing that's coming to my mind is why would I play Braun over a card like Thunderfoot Baloth, the lieutenant that buffs up your guys and gives them trample, or Pathbaker Ibex, which also can buff up your guys whenever it attacks and gives them trample too. I'm just kind of like, you know, why not play one of those instead of Braun? I, th- I Pathbreaker Ibex is a couple bucks, um, and I love Pathbreaker Ibex. That is probably one of my favorite and most fun cards to play in my Miri deck. Um, so yeah, I totally agree that Ibex, the effect is greater. Uh, that is a static effect, though, and the other ones, you're, I believe, are triggered. Ibex has to attack, um, mm. and sometimes it gets knocked out, whereas Brawn, if it's in the graveyard, it just happens. So there's no trigger, there's no workaround. They have to actually remove it twice, basically, to make sure that it it's gone, gone. So I think there are some decks that are going to want it. I think there are some decks that won't, but I do think that only 3,000, just under 4,000, I should say. Um, I do think that's a little underplayed for the effect, especially when you consider anger is played in 10,000 decks. I don't know. Dana, what do you think? Um, I don't love brawn. Um, I think it makes a lot of sense on a Thromach deck or something like um, Crash of Bloodbreaded where you're doing a lot of sacrifice shenanigans and you have an easy way to get it in the yard. I think part of the thing Anger has going on is on multiple occasions I've seen somebody gamble for an Anger and then wind up (laughs) pitching it with a gamble. Which you can do in this limited format. Right, right. Um, Whereas I think, you know, you lose that with Brawn um, and competing with things like Primal Rage as a, as a, trample enabler it's much easier to drop that and it's maybe not as as bulletproof as something in your graveyard but it's pretty tough to remove enchantments compared to most other format other ways to to enable trample same with nylea herself so i think the biggest problem braun has i think it's a good card i just think it has better competition in that slot at least at least things i like to do um it has more competition Maybe we can compromise, Matt. A deck that I've seen, sort of like Thromach, that is in absolutely desperate need of some evasion or trample ways to push the damage through is Xenagos, God of Revels, because he Mm -hmm. can give one of your creatures plus X plus X, where X is that creature's power, and gives it haste, but he doesn't give it trample. So if you've got something kind of like that creature that is very likely to die, that sticks around in a really you know, difficult to deal with way like Braun in the graveyard, then that would be a good way to make sure that all of those huge gigantic creatures that you're playing with Xenagos and then that get even more powerful are definitely going to push through the damage that Xenagos needs you to push through. So maybe we can compromise there. Or, you know, I'm also obliged to mention that I like graveyard decks a whole lot. So maybe Braun is pretty good in decks that like to put a lot of stuff in their graveyard too. I don't know. Yeah. You you do the death part of Joey's land, death, (laughs) land, death. 
And it, uh, it, just imagine though, the look on his face as he's trying to like, I want to reanimate something, but I, I can't reanimate Braun. Maybe that's why I'm such a stickler right. about it. It's a card that I, it it's a creature be, I don't want to pull out of the graveyard. <laughs> that's blasphemy to me. The, that's true. If, if it goes there, it has to come back out eventually. <laughs> All yeah, right. That's, that's how my decks roll. So, okay. A little bit of challenge on the challenge. But regardless, you're right. Trample is certainly more powerful than it probably looks. And it's uh, even then, it's going to be one of those cards that probably catches me by surprise enough to like justify people playing it against me. Yeah. How many times have you forgotten, you know, the guy across the table has something in his graveyard? He, you know, you just forgot about it. That's happened several times to me because, I mean, I just forget things. Well, I mean, I'm always asking, hey, can I look through your graveyard real quick whenever I'm playing into my decks because I need to, you know, see what they've got for my Diluvian Primordial to steal. But, you know, that's neither here or there. The point is, these are good cards. I want to wrap up with one final question for you guys. Back to Ultimate Masters. Are there any individual cards that you're personally excited to see? I, I mean, we could probably talk for another hour about how awesome the reprints are in this set. But aside from just the popular stuff that we looked at earlier, are there specific cards that stand out to you? Well, let's start with the white cards in A, and we'll work our way down, um, collector <laughs> number-wise. Uh, but no, really, really, uh, I, I really like seeing Reanimate. That's always a, a powerful card that uh, a lot of different formats play. Uh, Life from the Loam was a challenge to stats of mine. I very much enjoy just what that does for many, many decks. Um, but Phyrexian Tower, actually, I'm specifically... Mm-hmm. Um, kind of jonesed to to see coming out again. And like I said, a lot of people thought that was on the reserved list. And so now they know it's not. But also it's just, it's a good, you know, it's a sack outlet, doubles your mana. It's, it's a mana that taps for two essentially. And uh, you can get you can get brawn into your graveyard, guys. That's how we do it. There we go. Full circle. Uh, but really, wow. Phyrexian Tower uh, is just a, it's a, very powerful card. It was sixty plus dollars for a long time. That's going to come down. Um, so I'm I'm excited to see that you know getting out in the wild a little bit more. Yeah, Phyrexian Tower is mine. I am so beyond ecstatic to finally own one of those. And and Dean would get mad at me. Dean Goody, co-writer with us, uh, would be mad if I didn't say Phyrexian Altar too. So. Oh yeah, I already own one of those, and I'm still excited that that one's getting reprinted. Oh yeah, I'm excited for Back to Bases to get reprinted. I have my playset. Like I'm getting taken to the cleaners with that one but it, it's so like this set's just very good but i'm done yeah. now i could, <laughs> Dana, I could go on um urborg to Yogmoth mostly for the box topper the existing urborg i don't love the art on necessarily and the three different versions are all using the same art too so you know i like i like foils and i have my glissa deck that's foiled out i would like to get a really sharp looking urborg in there and i don't think the existing art necessarily qualifies so being able to get kind of that primo version of that card for that deck, um, that's the, definitely going to be the first thing I look to pick up. And in Phyrexian Altar and, uh, and and Tower as well are just, you know, you guys just said it, but like I'm going to echo those sentiments. Those are two great cards, and I actually really like the new art on Phyrexian Tower. Um, I believe um, it's the Predator flagship. I think do we mention that last week? It's the Predator yeah, flagship. Well, and I'm looking at it right now, and it, it you can tell it if you paid attention or played back in back when uh, the Weatherlight Saga was going on. You can tell it is the the Predator. And that's such a great like little lore shout out. I mean, it's a good looking card. It, we can get it in foil now. There's I just like everything about it. So, but both those Frexian cards are ones I really want to get. Um, and I, I didn't love the. Um, the invention version of Mana Vault, it, it's fine, but it, it, there was nothing particularly 
showy about it, I didn't think. And I really like the new Mana Vault art as well. So, like, if I want to put a Mana Vault in the deck, I think that box topper, it's, I, I like the frame a lot too. It's real clean. And I like that new Mana Vault art. So, that might be one I will be looking to acquire at some point down the road. I also want to give a shout out to all of the awesome uncommons in this set as well. And actually, even a common, one of the most popular cards that we talked about earlier is Kodama's Reach. That thing was like almost $3. And it's just nice to have greater accessibility to that because that's one of the most quintessential green cards in the whole format. But then we've also got things like Frantic Search, which is another just really amazing one. And also things like Mistvale Veil Plains. I forgot that that card existed, and I definitely forgot that it was a $6 uncommon land. Matt, you also mentioned Laboratory Maniac, and that was reaching like $12, and it was rare, and now it's an uncommon. Like, there are so many amazing cards in the set, even at the lower rarities, that are just really, really efficient, and I'm so happy to see them. Well, don't forget Eternal Witness is the number one played green creature in our format, and it's an uncommon as well. And it was, you know, you had said a couple episodes ago, you know, you don't see them out in the wild very often. You don't see people being able to get their hands on them. That is going to change now. Yeah, and other cards too. Uh, Dana had mentioned Dawn Charm in a previous Challenge to Stats, I believe. Apprentice Necromancer is something that Inala players will probably be really happy to have. There's just a lot of value, and not just at the high, most popular cards, not at the most expensive level. There's a lot of value hidden throughout all facets of this set, and that's one of the reasons that it is so exciting. But with that, I think we're going to call this episode to a close. I'd like to thank my co-hosts so much for joining me. And if any of our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where can they find you all? Matt? You can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And Dana? You can find me on the Twitter birds at Dana Roach. And you can hear me once a week on my other show, CMDR Central. And special thanks to our editor for the show, Ken Peddle, also known as Kenish Norn. You can follow him on Twitter at Loader. That's L-O-A-D-3-R. You can follow EDHREC and the EDHREC cast on Facebook and Twitter. We're doing a giveaway when EDHREC gets 5,000 likes and when the cast gets 1,000 followers on Twitter. So head on over there to smash those like buttons for a chance at a cool prize. You can also contact us at EDHRECcast at gmail.com and you can find us on iTunes. And if you do, please consider leaving us a review to help other folks find the podcast too. This podcast is posted every week on EDHREC's community content spotlight section where we feature as... <laughs> feature? We feature as many other content creators as we can. I'm all over the place with my words today. My apologies, everyone. Anyway, we feature as many other content creators as we can on the EDHREC community content spotlight section. We feature Command Zone, Commander's Brew, Commander Versus, and of course, our own articles published every day by our fantastic team of writers. We'll be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember, EDHREC your deck before you wreck your deck. So I saw one thing that is, I called Max. I'm like, Max, do you need stuff? And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I got a dining room table here. I got, I got a couple end tables for you. He's like, yeah, whatever. He's bringing it over. <laughs> so like I furnished Max's apartment for him. Yeah. Max, you can go. you help me out? I, I accidentally made an Ikea <laughs> right, storehouse right. in my basement. So it's just a complete showroom down here, and I need it empty before I move.